This episode of By the Glass is supported by the Adelaide Review. For a deeper look at what makes Adelaide tick, visit adelaidereview.com.au. Hello and welcome to By the Glass. This is episode 16. This is a podcast about hospitality, booze and all that surrounds it. Uh, my name is Ali Robertson and my esteemed co-host here is Chris Kamorak. G'day, Chris. Hey, Ali. Our guest today is a national wine writer for News Corp. His writing is found all around Australia in uh, The Advertiser, in The Herald Sun, uh, in other publications like that. You may have read some of his work. I'm sure you would have, Ali. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Mm. His name's Tony Love, and he joins us for episode 16. Welcome, Tony. G'day. First, well, do you want a beer or something? Yeah, I'd love a beer. Yeah, a yeah. wine or a beer or yeah. something rather. Yeah, that'd well, be I can, great. Yeah, I've, I can open um, a wine for you. Let, should we do a little mystery wine? Let's do a mystery wine. All right, you might yeah. have to look away. I'll look just away. for a second. I'll close my eyes and I'll pour it. Yep. Well, here's a little mystery red for you. In a very classy mug as well, which is really nice. Really it's nice a, glass. It's a uh, 420 mil tumbler and rimmed. <clears throat> Otherwise known as a schooner or something like that. Anyway. Yeah, it holds the wine nicely. You'll have to pardon me. I do have a little bit of a lurgy, so this might be a bit of fun. So I'm uh, sure I'll get tricked out on this. Well, there's, there's no pressure to guess what it is. It's yeah. just a little bit, of, a little bit of fun. Like with many of our guests, we're not trying to trick you at all. Well, it's a nice, bright, fresh wine. I got a feeling there's some Cabernet sort of things in there. Yep, that's a yeah. win. Yeah, some Cabernet blend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely Cabernet leading that wing that thing. I don't think there's Shiraz in there. I got a feeling it's no. a Cabernet. It might even be Cabernet Franc. Yeah, yeah. Um, there may be a bit of Merlot and a bit of Malbec in it, I'd say. Um, that's that kind of drink, but it's really bright and fresh. Oh, hot damn. It's uh, all those things. You've just nailed it. Um, all right, where do you think it's from? I'm going to take a punt and say it's from Langhorn Creek. No, but it's a similar type of place. Okay. Uh, all right, what, what type of age do you think it's got on it? Um, I don't think it's super old. Um, I've got a feeling it's probably... 14 or 15, possibly 16, in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, shall we reveal? Reveal, please, yes. Um, you got so much of that so spot on and the other so wrong, but that is, <laughs> that is great. Um, this, <laughs> uh, this is Grosset Gaia, oh, 2004, Clare Valley, Cabernet, or Cab Sav, Cab Franc, Merlot. Okay. So there you go. I just threw an extra one in for uh, Malbec in for for good luck, but well, you know, you never know. And what year is it? This is two thousand and four. Two thousand and four or fourteen? Four. Four. Okay. Wow. Gee, it's alive, isn't it? And I I only just opened it, and it's screw cap. So, man, you you were pretty good at that game. It also has a label that looks like it's been designed in two thousand and four. And I can tell you that label has not changed. I've seen a new label. I think I got one in my storeroom, and it's pretty well exactly the same. Just the years changed. So. Well, yeah, a know, classic. There's nothing wrong with Microsoft Word. <laughs> so you must look at, at a lot of wine. I uh, do. Being the national wine writer. I have uh, a lot of wine in front of me all yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, I probably open and taste and spit um, uh, probably an average of about 100 a week in terms of my work. Mm. And that kind of goes through varying you know, sort of you know, ups and downs in terms of whether I'm uh, tired, sick, bored, and all the other things. Um mm. And right now I'm sort of working on a summer feature, 100 drinks, which includes 70 wines. So the number ups again as I try mm. and find new things and and all the fresh wines from the season, from the um, 17 season coming in. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that. 
Right now, I've just finished a big set of tastings on sparklings, which, of course, my teeth and, and gums are humming away with the acidity in them. Yeah. Um, and having just returned recently from Sydney to a big champagne, um, annual champagne tasting as well, where there were 120 or so champagnes in a room for three hours. Yeah. So, um, so you'd kind of do all those things. You know? I mean, it's a weird job to do, I can yeah, tell you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you just have to kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's discipline as well, mm. I think, as well. Yeah. Well, I, I do a similar job um, f- at Clever Little Tailor. I, I buy the wine and have a lot of appointments. But how do you think it's different for you? Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, you, I, I mean, you're tasting because you've got a, I'm guessing, because you've got a particular kind of concept in your head about the wines that you want to pour. Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably got a little bit more open, um, uh, an open book on that where I, um, I'm looking at themes. I might be looking at, you know, crazy, um, crazy white blends, you know, field blends or something or other. So I'm kind of looking at those in particular styles because I want to write a piece about that. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, but the, the difference is I've got to write quite complex notes. Um, you know, I've, for every wine, I've got about 80 words to fill. Mm, uh, yeah. So I need to have a relatively complex set of, uh, of notes that I do on my tasting. So it would take me a lot longer, I guess, per wine. Mm. Uh, when you're judging in a more kind of formal sense in shows and things, well, you know, you've got 30 seconds or 40 seconds to, to make a, a judgment, write a couple of key words, do a score and move on. Mm, um, whereas, and I do that as well. I mean, I can't review every wine that I taste. Um, but when I come across the ones that I want to say, oh, this really interests me or this excites me or whatever, yeah, yeah. then I stop and I write proper notes. What's the earliest uh, you've ever opened a bottle of wine at work? Oh, gosh. Uh, 8.30 in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, that, uh, yeah and, that's, and that's relatively regular. You know, sometimes you know that you've got like three hours in the morning to pump over, you know, 20 or 30 wines and... And that's the same with uh, you know judging shows and things too. Quite often you start judging at eight thirty in the morning or nine o'clock, and you might have eighty Shiraz in front of you as the first. <laughs> that's a pretty awesome kind of you know, yeah. you know daunting exercise. I try uh, I try to limit that a little bit, but um, but yeah, you, you 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 it's a professional thing, you know. It's like I said, it's about a discipline and about saying, well, okay, I have to get this stuff done. I, I can't mm. you know I, I can't put it off any longer. Sometimes you're panicking and you got to you know you know you've got words to write, so yeah. And I assume it. you must have a, a good combination lock on the cupboard that you keep it all in. Yeah, well, that's right. It's a it's a room in, it, at at work and uh, and it, and myself and the building manager and the and you know I think one of the cleaners has got a key and. And uh, everybody looks, you know, on the floor where it's at all kind of looks at me suspiciously and, you know, because I walk past with clinking bottles and glasses and things. So, 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 you know, there's a little bit of that, but, um, he probably thinks you're like Notre Dame or something. Oh, it's, it's a bit weird because quite often I'll, I, and I do a lot of my tastings on our top floor where there's a beautiful view over the city and there's fridges and all that sort of thing. But quite often if that's busy with a function, I'll just sit in this little room. Literally it's as big as this studio, which is, you know, gosh, I don't know what, three minutes meters by four meters or mm. something like that not even that and um and i'll just i've got a table in there and i'll just sort of secretly you know sort of spit and gurgle and whatever in there and nobody knows i'm in there so you do most of your tastings for your writing at at the advertiser building at the advertiser oh, building right. most of them yeah that's right i'd never imagined that yeah that's cool. that's right yeah i try to do i try to keep it as a very strict work practice but then but then also you know i mean i um i you know i go out to dinners and things and uh the other day I was at Orana and uh, and and the uh, sommelier there served us a couple of wines as part of the package, and I got two reviews out of that. It was excellent, you know. It was really, really the, what what he did with those wines was fantastic, you know. Sakes and 
a maiden eye dry white which had been you know, matured for a year in vermouth barrels i just thought was brilliant you know so yeah. they're doing some pretty cool stuff there aren't yeah. they yeah hey uh, i think it's time <laughs> ali for pop quiz oh yeah okay so tony um are you ready for pop quiz i'm ready I will ask you three questions and uh, you answer one correctly and you have to buy Alistair and I a beer. Ah, yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. And then if you answer two correctly, uh, we'll happily buy you a beer. And if you answer three correctly, Tony, um, Al? Well, we'll get you a six-pack of Cooper's Pale and um, Bruno Mars 24K Magic on compact disc. Excellent, excellent. That'll go straight to the pool room. Mm. Fantastic. Question number one. Al, do you want to launch into this? Yeah, sure. Now, these are all food-themed questions. Uh-oh. Question number one. M&Ms, as in the chocolate, were first introduced in which year? Now, this is a multiple choice. Was it 1921, 1941, or 1961? I'm going to go with 1961. <laughs> That is incorrect. It is 1941. In the middle of the war. (laughs) Yeah, in the middle of the war. In the middle of the war. So an American thing, obviously, but in the middle of the war. Isn't that weird? weird? It is weird, yeah. That's that's what I thought, too. That's right. Well, Well, um, zero out of one at this stage. Question number two, Tony. Cooper's Brewery was established in what year? These are pretty tough questions for you today. That's okay, and that's okay. Look, I know I'm an old bugger, and so obviously they're history questions. Um, So it would have been established in Leebrook, which is where it first was, in Statenborough Avenue. How long ago? It is written on every bottle. Um, uh, this is, so this go is... figure, I don't read what's on the bottle. <laughs> I just drink what's in the bottle. And this is one of those tough questions that you see it every time you have a beer. Yeah. And it, you know, you see it, but you don't always retain it. I can give a multiple choice for this. Yeah. Or yeah. give me a, a range. But okay. anyway, give me a multiple choice. I'll give you multiple right, choice. Right, cool. right. uh, okay, so 1862, 1864, and 1866. Thank God you said 18 things because I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have picked that. Um, it's been around for a while. That's yeah. a long time. 62, 64, 66. I will... I'm going to go 62. That is correct. That was a guess. And that's correct. Uh, so that's one out of two. So at the moment, Tony, you're buying Ali and I beer. Fair call. So the best you can get out of this pop quiz, if you get the next one right, is uh, we'll buy you a beer. So unfortunately, that mixtape is uh, <laughs> it's out, of the, out of the question now. Um, there may or may not be a, a bonus round too. Oh, there might be a bonus round. Yeah, we'll okay. see. We'll see. I'll have to just talk to the Brains Trust. Cool. <coughs> question three. Uh, Matani allegedly invented what in Adelaide in the 1970s? Matani. Could you please spell Matani? M-I-T-A-N-I. And did you say invented? Yes. Invented something in the 1970s. Allegedly. Allegedly invented something in the 1970s. Yeah, and it's a very uniquely Australian thing that has since become a little more popular around the world. You'd find it uh, quite regularly... Um, in Adelaide and in all over Australia. Yeah, and, and it's a food item. It is. Yeah, 
Right. Okay. That's interesting. Well, you've put a that that's that's an interesting clue. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, wedges. <laughs> Whoa! You're in the right. You're in the, you're right, in the right area. area, but it's not. The it's not the potato. <laughs> it's not the potato, but the right shape. You reckon? No, 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 no. no, no. So it's, it's a, a snack kind it's, of it's area. It's more of a. It's more of a condiment. It's, oh. it's, it's, it's a as condiment. opposed to a vegetable. Oh, I'm gonna. I know exactly what. I, I no, I don't know exactly. I'm gonna guess exactly. Chicken salt. That's correct. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicken salt. It is. Um, and yeah. is that factory out near um, Mile End, near the railway tracks? I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. So, oh and, my goodness! And I was reading about it, and it's it's bizarre because they actually invented it allegedly for um, seasoning chickens, like roast chicken, chopped mm. chicken. Uh, and then in South Australia, everyone was just putting it on the hot chips, and then it spread all over Australia and New Zealand, and it is just common. Yeah. Like that's what everyone does here. It's not a proper chicken shop unless they ask you if you want chicken salt on your chips. Like you go to KFC in Australia, it's all I chicken salt. I think it's salt. not a proper chicken shop unless they give it to you <laughs> without <Yeah>. asking. <laughs> but like all around the world, that was unheard of. Mm. So that's what I thought was interesting. Well, that's, Tony, that's uh, two out of three. Now, you have the option for a fourth question. Um, and if you do get this right, you know, the Bruno Mars uh, 24K Magic compact disc is still up for grabs. Uh, do you want question four? I want the Bruno Mars compact disc, <laughs> well, so yes. here we go. Uh, question number four, which is our, our bonus question for today's round. Oh, this is getting hot. Can you tell me what colour the tube of salt and vinegar Pringles is? <laughs> well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, again, have a bit of a fling here because I reckon purple is, a, is like the, the regular colour for... Salt and vinegar. Mm. And so this can only be a guess because I am totally, I've got this barrier in my taste buds about salt and vinegar. I cannot do salt and vinegar. In fact, my kids, my daughters play awful jokes on me about pouring salt and vinegar <laughs> chips out of the pack and making and seeing what happens when I eat them. So I'm going to go purple. Unfortunately, that is incorrect. It is. I actually thought you were building up there to have a have a shot at something else there because of the whole purple, <laughs> the way that you led that in. I was expecting you to actually answer the correct answer, which is light blue, blue, light blue, blue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes. But yeah. no, no, purple is the standard. It is. It is. I would have thought it was the standard, but Smiths. as soon as I said yeah. it, I had this vision of light blue, a light blue tube. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. It is a bit of a um, because that would you would expect to be. Sea salt. I mean, if Dave Bloomberg was here, yeah, I think he would have been all over that. Oh yeah, because he's he, the chip master. Did you hear? Listen to his episode? No, I haven't he, heard his. He did a, a blind chip tasting, and he practically smelt them and got it instantly. What a talent! Yeah, is it fair to say, as a little segue, um, the rest of your family are also obsessed with food and wine? I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but we're certainly that's, that's connected a, yeah. and we're certainly involved in it. That's right. Um, uh, in fact, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, it's built up over the years, but uh, my wife uh, has worked in you know, top-end restaurants and worked with um, wine industry people and now um, working in Leon Creek as the, um, as the marketing director down there for the region. I've got a daughter who's working in the cellar door at Shore & Smith. I've got another daughter in Sydney who has been in the food industry there. She's a trained winemaker, stayed, uh, you know, studied at Waite. 
um, and is now working in PR in the food and wine areas awesome. as well. So, awesome. yeah. You know, the interesting thing is we all have varying tastes. You know, I mean, <laughs> I might bring home half a dozen bottles from work or something rather, thinking that they're really interesting and whatever. And they will have, you know, they'll be all, I don't like, I do like, you know, and whatever. And, and um, so, you know, you know, it's always a bit of fun. Yeah. I've got a question here that I, I know leads to another answer, but uh, Tony, tell me how you met your wife. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is a bit intimate, but anyway, um, it was many years ago at a Midnight Oil concert. Um, and uh, it was a steaming hot day in Sydney. I think it was 40 something degrees. This was a, well, 1982, so, you know, 35 years ago. And, um, yeah, and we were, uh, we were in the same car going to the concert, a panel van, strangely enough. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, it w- and I was in, I remember I was in, um, King G shorts and a wife beater, blue wife beater. I'd just come out of work oh, and wow. had work boots on and things like this that. It's sepia. Great, it's it's sepia in my mind. <laughs> and so, so it is a moment in history Yeah. and, uh, and they were playing, it was a, it was, I think, a series of two or three concerts they were playing at the Capitol Theatre in Sydney. Mm. And, in fact, it has since gone on to um, uh, DVD as well. Oh, and, wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, we met there and um, have uh, been together ever since. So, there you go. So, you know, Midnight Oil has a certain, um, you know, sort of you know, deep meaning in my life. Yeah, did you, you know, share Apart a moment, from the music. Did you share a moment in the, in the gig? A moment. I wonder what a moment means in that question. Little, little kiss? Uh, I don't think we did in the first date. I don't you think know? it's... A, you don't kiss at a midnight oil gig. Well, that's, I don't why, think that's why I was asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> I got a feeling we probably didn't. No, no, we weren't... We, it wasn't that kind of, you know... It's not that kind of music, is it, really? I no, don't think not. so, no. What do you remember of that gig? probably remember more about meeting my wife than I remember the music. No, but... Um, it definitely was a but, moment. Uh, it but, definitely <laughs> was. It must have been. <laughs> uh, I... It, look, I remember um, it was in those that closed those classic moments of some of those great songs of this. But this was this was not the first time I'd seen them, and I I had been going to see Midnight Oil since 1979 when they were playing surf music in you know in the suburbs of Sydney. Oh. Uh, there was a great gig place called uh, the Bondi Lifesaver, and they and you know seriously, I mean the stage was again as big as this studio, and uh, and. It was uh, pumping, you know, and there would have been 20 people there, you know, in the early days. Uh, so I probably saw Midnight Oil at least half a dozen times. And uh, they, they just had a real energy. And you're right. I mean, he he and them, the guitar players, mm. Rob Hurst on the drums. I mean, the drum, everything yeah, was oh, just Bob. bursting with energy. And uh, so that was, you know, 79 to 82. I would have, I've got a feeling that that was probably the last time I saw them. And I didn't go back this time to see them because I had this burned in wonderful memory of those years and I thought to myself I want to keep it that pristine and then in my memory yeah. and it's still and so that so I, I didn't go to the latest uh, round of concerts although I hear they were fantastic do you ever throw on a few tunes when you're tasting your wines look that's a really interesting question and the answer absolutely is no I am one of those people who needs absolute silence Mm. When I'm tasting, I, uh, I I really struggle when there's other stuff going on. Others, uh, for me, it's a really sensory kind of thing that I need to have all senses focused on what I'm doing. Obviously, I don't listen to the wine, um, <laughs> but it really it really kind of you know throws in um, sort of you know uh, throws my brain out in terms of because I'm I'm concentrating on something else because I do concentrate on music when it's being played. Mm. So I really need to go. No, it's just me, the wine, and the words. I can't even 
do my tasting notes on a um, on a laptop or a computer. I'm an old school pen and paper. I know a lot of young guys do, and I just for me, I just my brain doesn't work that way. Mm. So I assume when you're looking for a car park, you're turning the radio down too. No, I don't do that. <laughs> well, that, you're, well it's, you know what? Um, I kind of as I get older, I probably do. Um, I've got to concentrate here. You know, that's not an old thing. I do that. Too. <laughs> I, if I have to find that car park, I need all my senses, and but, I can't listen to. Bruno Mars in in the radio, if, if that's what's on, I have to turn that off. Can we do an edit of that and say, I just can't listen to Bruno Mars? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and to cut it on both sides and you know, for no other reason. No, I think we'll leave that in. Uh, so, Tony, when you're tasting all these different wines in that, that room or with the view, uh, how are you progressing from wine to wine? Probably sometimes it's going through, you know, having a bit of a smell of the glass uh, getting a sense of of how they stand in that in the aromatics, um, going back, pushing things back and forth. Uh, I don't stop and have a little piece of bread or a bubbly water or anything. Um, seriously, I think your palate gets better when you're in the zone and you and you're tasting and then you taste another one and another one, and you're starting to get senses of comparisons and with this concentration of this one and you go back to it, the one before it or the, you know three down the road and go. Gee, that's really lean compared to this, and so so I it, it's very much a, a sort of an organic and a you know, sort of natural kind of process where I'm back and forth tasting here, writing notes for that one. How did that? You know, what's that year? Or, or, you know, just, let me look at it. When, that region. Or, that was like that region over there, and so I kind of play with it a fair bit, um, but certainly. Um, I don't do any uh, palate cleansing. Don't do that during if I'm judging larger numbers as well. Um, Time-wise, that's an issue. But also, I just think once you're in the zone, mm. um, your palate gets really tuned up and, um, and 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 tight, and you can see stuff. And when you're writing, how do you find uh, that battle to use superlatives all the time in in your writing? Do you find it hard to get past that? Yeah. Look, it is. It's it's, it's a constant thing in my mind about. Uh, uh, superlatives about wine jargon. Um, I, I I find myself writing reviews uh, and tasting notes, you know, almost in a narrative sense now about the experience from start to finish. Um, I'm I go with my gut in terms of that's a phrase that pops into my head. I'll write it down. Uh, that's a sort of smell that I remember. I've got a um, a pretty big garden with flowers and vegetables and things, and I do, I, you know, and so I, I I kind of keep my palate a little bit tuned and nose tuned and all those mm. florals and things to keep an eye on that. And I simply write it as it, it's very much a sort of a a mini 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 short story process for me. Uh, quite a creative process those moments, and uh, and then when I go back and and do the final tasting note, I use those notes as a first draft. And quite often stick with it and, and just piece it together as a sort of 50 or an 80 word little mini essay almost. It's kind yeah, of like a short story. Like a little mini short story. Yeah. yeah. That's how I see it. That's an, and that's the way I enjoy doing it. And, um, and it has a sort of natural sort of feel to it for me. It's so cool to hear about how that process and like where it happens and, you know, how you're feeling and there's no music and I can really picture that. And it's something I'd never really thought about when I've, I've read your writing and, you know, a lot of other Wine writers. It's really cool. Now, Tony, something we like to ask all of our guests is uh, what's in your recycling bin at home? Because we think it offers a little insight into what you're eating and drinking and what your family are getting up to. 
Uh, right there, right now, I can tell you, um, there's a <laughs> there's a bottle, there's an empty bottle of Bernard Bremont champagne. Um, there's an empty bottle of Chandon 2006 Late Disgorge sparkling wine. Um, part of the tastings I've been doing recently that I took home to um, to just kind of have a bit of fun at home. You cool. know, usually with tastings, I kind of you know they usually go to a um, to the tastings that I do at work. I top up um, with a little similar wine and they go off to a charity. Uh, a, a big, wonderful um, bunch of uh, people, the Blackwood Lines and Rotary, and we do auctions and things and we make a lot of money for, mm. and we support a Indigenous Health Education Scholarship. So um, so that's my Fantastic. recycling from work. That's excellent. Um, instead of pouring it down um, drunken journalists' throats um, or down the sink. Um, but at work, at home, uh, our, all our green waste goes to the chooks. At the moment, I have um, a couple of cans of colourful cans of mismatched beer. Um, oh, that, the, new um, the new lager. How is it? Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I really like it. It's in a funny little three thirty mil can, and the others are three seventy five. Um, I the session ale is a regular beer in our fridge yeah. um, as well. So there's a few of those. Um, let me see what else. Um, I love this thing when the when the recycling truck comes past every couple of weeks. And um, I have I, I take a perverse pleasure in hearing the sound of all those bottles <laughs> crash into the crash into the into the recycling yeah. truck and make this huge sound that wakes everybody up at six o'clock in the morning. I have a very perverse kind of pleasure about that as I'm lying in bed listening to it. You know, I have a similar um, fetish with the bottles uh, at Clever Little Taylor um, or the entire Peel Street precinct uh, have one um, bin room for all the bottles and all the waste and all the linen. So it smells pretty bad and it's pretty nasty. It's out the back of Hungry Jack's is where, <laughs> where they keep the buns. I'm sorry, Hungry Jack's. So I can I pour out all of the, the bottles and it just smashes. It's really loud. But yeah. you see what you've been pouring, what everyone has drunk that night in the venue, and I can just see each person, what they enjoyed. But also there's bins full of other um, bars and restaurants and I can kind of see what they've been selling too. Which is really interesting. Hence the hence the question about you know what this tells you about what's going on in that yeah, household. Yeah, you know? they're, oh, they're buying that wine. Oh, that looks cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, yeah. That's right. We got it all over them. That's right. That's <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, Tony, that's all we have time for in episode sixteen of By the Glass. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. And if you want to check out any of Tony's work, uh, make sure you just pick up a copy of the advertiser, or you can search for Tony Love, and uh, you'll you'll definitely find some of his work and be able to read up on all of that. If you'd like to catch up on any other episodes of By the Glass, hit us up on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you like what you've heard tonight, don't forget to tell your bartender. <laughs>